episode number two of the Tony Parks podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in Monday and today. Uh, that was a lot of fun getting your feedback, both good and bad, of the show that took place on Monday. Really appreciate all the kind words from uh, so many of you. Uh, many of you have uh, wondered how often I'm going to have the podcast up and going. Uh, my goal is to have content for you as much as possible. My vision is to let this be a part of your listening experience every day. Uh, so a number of different things that I'll be working on uh, throughout the course of this week to kind of set that up for the future weeks. Uh, I was also asked about whether or not this would be just about the jazz. Not at all. Uh, this podcast will be about all sports, all teams, uh, mostly locking in on local, but uh, there will be times that we talk about a national subject. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of that will happen here today. Um, we're going to have a video version of the podcast available very, very soon on top of that. Uh, and I'll have different sections of the podcast that reach out uh, to some fan bases that I think aren't being connected to as often. Um, so I'm, you know, going to create something for Utah State fans, right? Uh, there's a good group of Aggie Nation that loves talking about their teams, and I would love to talk about their team more when I was, like, hosting a show, uh, but their fan base is outnumbered by two other bigger college fan bases in this market, and they're competing at times for coverage with major pro sports teams like, well, like the Jazz, it's the only major pro sports team, but you see my point. So it was really, really hard because I used to get a lot of people saying, hey, why don't you talk about, like, the Aggies more? Well, I couldn't. Not just because, like, we didn't think the Aggies were important. It just, you have only so much time and you have other fan bases that are outnumbering yours. So the interest level is high in the other teams and they have a higher number of people that are engaged to the conversation. So something like that. Uh, I'll be talking some baseball at different times, um, but I understood where baseball fit in the interest level with the local fan base. But there's still enough people that like it that would want to tune in to a, a baseball conversation, even though there's you know not a major league team here and the sport doesn't have uh, nearly as big of an interest here. I'll have a number of interviews. Uh, some of them will be informational uh, and connecting to a recent story. Some of the interviews will be more like a biography or a deeper look into the career and life of some very interesting people. Uh, lining up uh, an interview here soon with Frank Layden uh, for some great memories from him involving several aspects of his life, not just basketball. I mean, the guy was at, you know, Jackie Robinson's first game. You know, he's got stories that'll go on forever. Uh, that interview, I bet I'll ask three questions and we'll probably have about a four-hour interview. That's, that's about how that'll go. <laughs> I one time, I actually, uh, I interviewed Frank Layden at Vivint Smart Home Arena a couple of years ago. I was doing a really big piece on him. And yeah, it was it was about three and a half to four minutes long. And I think I asked about three or four questions total in the entire thing. But everything he said was incredible, really insightful, like engaging. Like he can go forever and it's great. Um, I'm working on uh, Rudy Rudiger uh, to come on, have some fun with Coach Lou. And then obviously we'll we'll talk about you know, his career, the movie, things like that. Um, some interviews so will be another kind of historical looking documentary, like Kim Hunley, the daughter of Hot Rod Hunley. Uh, I'm talking to her about joining me sometime. And we'll go over some great stories that no one knows about involving her dad. Uh, kind of a real behind the scenes look there too. So really trying to give the listener a little bit of everything to look forward to and something a little different 
uh, than what uh, they're usually getting. So one of those things uh, that we're going to do for you every show, it's called Lifting the Curtain. I'll give you a behind-the-scenes look or a behind-the-scenes story that I think you'll like, something uh, that might be of interest to you, something that I think would be engaging, and it'll come from all the years of experience of uh, being in the industry or being behind the scenes at different sporting events uh, throughout my entire career. So lifting the curtain today, I take you back to 2008. The Utah Jazz had what was their uh, best year and their best team, in my opinion, since the turn of the century. Now, I know they didn't go to the Western Conference Finals like they did in 07, uh, but they also didn't have the break of an 8-1 upset. Um, this Jazz team, who was 54-28, and 28, played up against a Lakers team in the second round of the playoffs, and they were 2-2, and it was realistic that they could win the series. Not favored, not picked, but it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. That 07 Jazz team, the moment they played the Spurs, forget it. It was over before it ever even started. Like, it was done. So, this Jazz team in 08, 54 and 28, Darren and Booze, they're clicking. A lot of good things are happening. Uh, they were the only Western Conference team that year uh, to beat the eventual world champion Celtics on the road, I believe. Uh, Darren Williams was in the mix of arguably being the best point guard in the NBA. Like, there was a real Chris Paul, Darren Williams debate. Now, I know now that discussion is decided, clearly, but at the time, there was some back and forth there. And Darren Williams had stretches of time and a few months where he was the best point guard in the league. He had the best argument, in my opinion. Uh, and that included like that stretch where they won uh, against the Boston Celtics on the road. So the Jazz go into that playoffs in 2008. They beat the Rockets in the first two games in Houston. They win the series in six. And in the second round, they match up with the Lakers. Now, like I said, Lakers' better team. They went to the finals that year. They lost to the Celtics. But when I was working the games back then, I would work in a variety of different ways, usually back in the studio for the road games. Uh, then when the home games took place, it would be a mixture of engineering the game next to Hot Rod and or in the visiting locker room. So Hot Rod and I worked very close to one another for about 500 games or so. We had a great relationship, and I can talk more about that some other time. So Hot Rod's a you know, really exciting broadcaster, as you know. And while he loved the game, he also wanted his team to win so bad. So bad. When it was in the playoffs, that is. Regular season would be different. But when you got to the postseason, I mean, his body language was funny. He'd slam his fist on the table. He'd shake his head at a dumb mistake. Uh, if something good or bad was about to happen, he would do, <laughs> he'd do this thing where he'd like grab my shoulder He'd get all fired up. He'd like grab my shoulder. And, and, and yeah, I guess you had to be there for this. But like he'd, he'd do it in a way as if to suggest that I needed to be aware about what was happening and I needed to do something. Like if the other team was about to take the lead on the Jazz, he, you know, I remember him like just grabbing me like, here they come, here they come, it's Kobe down the left side. And, you know, and then he'd say something like, and they let him shoot it. So I'd look at him like they let him shoot it. What do you mean they let him? What do you want to do, tackle him? So anyway, his, his energy and his attitude was just like, come on, pay attention, do something. Um, it just, it was fun. And then I also liked that he, for whatever reason, would get more upset at uh, Andre Karolinko than anyone. And I don't know why. Not just in his voice, but even off the air. You're like, Andre Karolinko, threw the ball right to him. 
you know, got a chance to take the lead and he throws it away, you know, <laughs> and then, and then even on the air, you would hear it like he would be, you know, that critical of, of Andre. And then of course we used to laugh because 15, 20 seconds later, he'd be like, Andre Karoliko, what a play. He stole it, took it to the hoop, gliding, hanging, scoring, unbelievable. Like, so he would always have these up and down moments. He was into it. So he was kind of this perfect connection um, where he was like the trifecta, right? He was the former player, so terrific insight and, and uh, abilities to connect with the game in that way play-by-play ability to describe the action and, and make sure that people were informed and, and translated the energy. And then he had the connection as a fan to that team. And he would never go to fanatic level where he would obviously lose it like we probably all did in our living rooms, but you know my point. So the Jazz go down two games to none in this series against the Lakers. They return to Salt Lake, game three, um, and late in the game, the Jazz are up four or five, and there's like a, I don't know, a 10-second differential maybe shot in game clock. So there's about 20 seconds left to play in the game. And Hot Rod loved to coach late in these games too, which was always funny. I mean, he'd always just be directing people around and stuff like that. So he, he goes, late in this game, he goes, let the clock run down. Just let it run down. That's right. Let it run down. And now Cover puts up a shot. He shouldn't have shot. The Lakers get the goddamn ball back. Excuse my language. Excuse my language. Uh, but uh, Cover uh, shouldn't have shot that ball. And uh, and we got a timeout. We got a timeout. Twenty second timeout by the Lakers. So we'll we're gonna keep it here. And the Jazz lead it. But you know, just should have let the the clock run down. You know. And you could just feel that he knew he did something right away that he's never done on the air. He, you could just feel it. So when I told some of my bosses about what happened, uh, and I couldn't tell them without you know, laughing, and, and I mean, I was, it, it felt awkward as I was trying to explain this because I was laughing and it was kind of a serious thing. They didn't believe me. Like, they didn't, they're like, okay, he didn't say that. Yes, he did. And then I played it for them. And then uh, they were like, oh, wow. And some of the bosses laughed about it. And it was, it all turned out to be okay. But it, there's your first look behind the curtain. And, oh, by, by the way, the other thing about that, that sound I have on a laptop here in the house and that laptop that I had back then, I just went totally haywire. And so a buddy of mine who, you know, was really, really good at working on computers and things like that, he has told me one of these days we'll get together so he can you know, uh, uh, get that off of that laptop because I have that sound of him doing that and it just, oh, it is fall off the couch funny. Uh, So Hot Rod Hundley earning what should have been a technical foul in the broadcast world. All right, the subject I wanted to get to today, one of my absolute favorite things I had the privilege of doing in my career was being a voter in the AP Top 25. Uh, It was also one of the most difficult things to do. Challenging for a million reasons, by the way. You're talking about coming up with the best 125 out of 130 teams while playing very few games, unbalanced schedules, huge gaps in talent. Uh, everybody thinks that, you know, two 6-0 teams are created equal. I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, most of the games are happening on the same day. There's all this pressure out there about, oh, East Coast bias and, you know, this conference never gets any respect and th- that team's always overrated and it just... 
it never ended. It was crazy. So I had, I had plenty of times that I was up really late in the evening, or you could say being up early in the morning, because I usually wouldn't finish that ballot until the sun was already up. So I, there were times though, that I would be staring at two or three teams going back and forth about all of the details to decide which order to put them in or whether to put a team in at all. And I, I remember one weekend in particular, it was in 2017. I remember this very, very well. I had Utah, Vanderbilt, Duke, and Cal all at the bottom of the 25. Three spots left. Now, I'm looking at these four teams with these three spots left, uh, 23, 24, 25. That's who I'm kind of down to deciding on now. And I knew that Vandy was going to get killed by Bama the next week. Knew it. I knew Duke and Cal would probably get beaten their games as well. Um, I, and then Utah played, I think it was Arizona on the road. And I also knew that Utah would probably beat that team. And I also knew that Utah fans were probably going to go nuts about it if I didn't put Utah on the 25 based on that or other stuff. But when just looking at what the teams did up to that point, which is what it's actually supposed to be about, because the rankings are not like a predictive measurement. And if I was to be completely honest about who had outperformed who, I put Utah 26th. Uh, they didn't have a as dominant a game as I thought they should have against North Dakota. They didn't dominate BYU, which people are like, well, it's a rivalry. But BYU was one of the worst FBS teams that year. And it was evident at the start of the season. BYU didn't even get to the 50-yard line against LSU. Struggled badly against like Portland State, I think, it, who it was. And Portland State might not have won a game that year. Not the point. Uh, and then they beat up on San Jose State. So the other teams all had better performances or better wins or something very notable that while looking at their performances, they go ahead of Utah. So I know that I didn't have a perfect answer. There really wasn't. Because you could also make an argument for Utah in that stretch. You really could. But I had to go with best. That was constantly what I had to do when voting in the AP poll. Sure enough, Vandy gets smashed by Bama like 59-0. I think Cal played a tough game against USC but lost. And I don't remember who Duke played, but I, I remember they, they lost as well. And Utah beats Arizona. And the fans brought all sorts of heat my way, which I knew was coming. But I had to, in that moment, make the decision that was best based on the criteria, based on the information, based on what I had. I couldn't just try to kind of sort of make it work for everyone. There was no more room. I had four teams. I had three spots. No matter how I did it, it was going to seem like an injustice to any of those teams. Uh, I, I remember once I had to move Wisconsin back two spots after winning the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> after, I mean, they win the Cotton Bowl. And I remember saying to myself out loud, I'm really moving this team back two spots. But the way things shook out during the bowl season, and then you take the accumulative uh, review of all those teams, that's it. They had to be the one to move back. Uh, and then Oregon actually one time, this, I don't think this will ever happen again. Oregon moved up after losing to Stanford once. They moved up uh, because a record number of ranked teams lost. And so th the point is, I knew the heat was coming and had to be okay with it. That was part of why I had that job, uh, while making the decision that was best when no option was perfect. And that's the position 
that all of these conference commissioners or major pro sports commissioners, presidents at universities, all of this, all these people in leadership positions, they're all facing that exact same thing coming up. Yesterday was bizarre. Cal State Universities now with online courses for the fall, like 23 of them. Arizona opens up and says pro sports are a go starting uh, like in a week or something like that. It's like May 15th, I think. Um, uh, Clay Helton the other day is mentioning that the Pac-12 is talking about playing an 11-game season only against one another. Then a report comes out that USC-Bama week one is not going to happen, so now Bama and TCU are working on playing each other week one because TCU is scheduled to play Cal on that date, and Cal is one of those 23 universities uh, that uh, is not expected to have anyone on campus during that time. So, and then there's a more positive feel for the NBA. We'll see what happens in two to four weeks. Um, Players get to anonymously let the league know whether or not they want to return to play. Here's what I'll say about it all. All of these people, all of them, Adam Silver, anybody, university president, conference commissioner, making the tough decision and pissing off a lot of people is going to be a part of this job. Because no matter what decision they make, it's going to have serious backlash. And you got to be okay taking the hits. You're going to have to be okay being the guy or the gal that is remembered as the person to blame for something that will have a negative result no matter what. If the Pac-12 has to play 11 games against each other and it was truly the best decision for everyone involved in that conference and let's say they have to slide the schedule, then that's what you got to do. If that truly is the best decision and you clearly don't have any disregard for human safety, then that's what you do. And you got to be okay with that. And sure, something like that is going to suck for some G5 teams and FCS teams that are scheduled to play Pac-12 teams with some important money games. And I don't know if USC will lose out on some money. My guess would be that they would in some way, shape, or form on uh, the game that they have set up against Bama in, I think it's in Arlington. Yeah, it's in Arlington. That's where that's set up for the first week of the year. And when these people have to make these decisions, I don't think that they're being snobbish or arrogant, and I don't think I'm going to review it that way unless it was a blatant disregard for human safety. That's different, obviously. In a moment like this, you're going to have to choose between a bad option and a bad option. And Adam Silver made that very clear on Friday. So no matter what he does, he's going to make some people really angry. Maybe they resume the season in Orlando, And everything looks good for the most part, but you have a few agents and players not happy about it because they have to stay in the same place away from their extended family or maybe their immediate family over the course of two straight months. Uh, Maybe there's a team that's upset because uh, they have a key player that doesn't want to come back. And when you resume play, the team has to play without them. I mean, that, that could happen here. And it could have a huge impact on the results and the outcome of the playoffs. Um, You know, the players I'm giving you from these examples, they would have a legitimate gripe. I'm not saying I wouldn't empathize their situation. I'm not even saying they shouldn't be listened to. I'm just saying Silver knows that he's in a position where making everyone happy is impossible. Impossible. And there may be a moment here where he's got to make a majority of people unhappy in order to do what is best because no option is perfect. Good coaches know how to be the bad guy or bad girl when they have to sit a player they don't want to, cut a player they don't want to, 
Really good bosses have to make really tough decisions sometimes. And they know sometimes they have to choose between bad and bad. And you know what? Good parents know how to end up making these decisions too. Oh, good parents. Uh, some of the best parents I've ever seen make decisions like this where you have two options, bad and bad, and they make the best out of the two and they're totally okay with it and they walk around with absolutely no apologies whatsoever. Uh, best example I can think of that, uh, my wife and I, it's funny because we, we go to the bar more than any people that don't drink. Like, we go to the bar all the time to watch games. We love it. Uh, we have our places that we go to watch the Bears games. Um, and, and we love to watch it with some friends and we usually do the driving, you know, if they have a few and we have a great time. We, we love it. Um, and one of our bartenders was the hardest working person I have ever seen in my life. Uh, we had a chance to get to know her. This woman was just amazing. Has a son that grew up playing basketball. He's like really, really good. Uh, one of the best for his age group. And she works as a bartender during the nights to cover what it costs for him to play. And she pissed off coaches. She pissed off her son, even other family members, other parents who had players that played for his team when the high school uh, realm came around, his first year of high school and then high school basketball, she suspended her son, suspended him for the first year of high school basketball. I said, why? She goes, because his grades sucked. She said, they were, they were good enough. We'll put it that way. But the problem was, she said, he's not taking it or me seriously. So I pulled the plug, sat him out for the whole year. She took a ton of heat for it, ton of heat. She said she didn't want her son to be just good enough in an area that was really important. And she got a little emotional talking about it because she could feel the pressure and hate coming from so many people. But she said she has a family history and she is afraid that it'll be repeated. Uh, and uh, she said she refuses to let it get to that point. So he sits out his first year. And then she let him play again. So we gotten to know her the last couple of years. And the reason why she let him play again, his second year, which is his sophomore year, he has a 3.8. <laughs> you know, this is like a varsity level player. He probably could have been uh, varsity as a freshman. He's got like terrific size and athletic ability. He's a good player. So he has a 3.8. And he got a 3.8. And I had a chance to meet this guy one time. Uh, he said, I had a 3.8 because I didn't want to let it be a question mark. I knew my mom was serious about it. So he had a great year, had a 3.8, really bright young person, had to learn how important it was through this method. Now, I haven't seen this woman since the pandemic, so someday I'm going to ask if it's cool if I like tell their story with names involved, and I haven't received that permission yet. So that's why I protect their identities for now. Um, but there's actually a really cool part of the story too, I just thought of this, that involves a jazz player. So I'll tell that part of the story too. It's, it's actually really, really cool. So anyway, her point was she couldn't be afraid of what other people were going to say. She had to decide between two bad options. Let her son play and be just good enough with grades because he never thought it would, you know, take something like basketball away or not let him play and deal with the heat and disapproval of so many others. She chose best even though there was not a perfect answer. She chose best. Now, I've, I, in all respect to other parents, I knew of a football parent who had a, a child whose grades were like similar, like barely good enough. They had to really fight like crazy to, to get him eligible. And their decision was, well, 
they they kind of known uh, some issues that their kid had had in the past and thought if we take this away, we're afraid what he'll do socially. We're afraid with no football that he might go out and, you know, run amok. So I'm not saying every parent has to choose the way this parent chose. I'm just saying this parent looked at the situation, knew the personality and the details of her son, knew the dynamic of her family and said, you know what? I've got two bad choices. I'm going with best and I'm not apologizing. And she didn't. And that's, that's what, you know, really tough leaders and parents and coaches and president of university or bosses, that's what they have to do. They're not just put in these positions to run things and hope everything goes smooth. They're put in positions sometimes to end up having to take the heat. And so when it comes to each of these commissioners, as long as they don't have complete disregard for human safety, as long as they're not reckless, I'm not going to badger them for doing things differently. You might have a situation in college football where the uh, four power five conferences other than the Pac-12 play everything on schedule and the Pac-12 has to slide their schedule to a later date and only play 11 Pac-12 games. You might have a situation where the Mountain West Conference says, uh, okay, well, we're going to set up some home and homes for teams to play against each other multiple times because we might have other teams that can't play this season. You know, there are going to be times, I don't, I, I mean, I hope this doesn't happen, but there might end up being a situation where schools can't play or somehow, some way, a sport has to be canceled or something like that. And of course, we hope it doesn't get to that. But I mean, it might get to the point where this is uh, bigger and more difficult than we ever thought. And whatever that decision is, if it's truly best and, and that's what it's about, then you got to do it. You got to do it, and I'm not going to blame them. I mean, Rob Manfred is not a guy I agree with often, um, but putting an abbreviated season to start around the 4th of July in front of no fans is about all you might get. And people are like, we'll take anything we can get. Sure, and it's going to crush a number of minor league teams, especially if you don't have minor league baseball. It's going to crush a number of minor league teams, which is why you've heard about a number of people being furloughed. There's going to be a negative financial hit with any solution you come up with, so choose the one with the least amount of damage. That's what you got to do. Uh, these commissioners all need to make their decision and not worry about what other conferences or leagues are doing because that comparison is going to happen all the time. Um, and, and you're going to hear, like, well, Arizona's open it up. Why can't California? You know, you're going to hear that. You're going to hear, well, I mean, all these other conferences are playing. Why is the Pac-12 doing it like this? Larry Scott sucks. This guy's bad. That guy, well, it, everybody's situation is different. Just like that story I gave you of the bartender mom. Her situation was very different than all of these other families. And at the end of the day, none of those families were going to pay their bills. None of those families were going to do their kids' homework. None of those families were going to worry about any difficult situation they were in. None of them. And none of those families were probably going to do anything about her kid if, let's say, he struggled academically and then after high school didn't really want to do much when she knew that he could have had other options and opportunities to be successful had he taken it more seriously. She had to look at it that way. You got to do what's best for you and your team and your group right now. Uh, not just for those commissioners that I'm talking about, not just for that mom, but everybody listening. You're going to have to make decisions that are best for your family. You might have to cancel vacations. You might have to um, take on different jobs. I mean, it's, yes, adjustments are having to be made by everyone. And so making the best decision when there's not a good one is what all these guys are going to do. There's never going to be a uniform way that all commissioners and all leaders are going to do this. 
And so when we hear about the quirky solutions, I'm not going to scoff at any of them, unless, of course, it was blatant disregard uh, for human safety. Because their situation is their situation. And many times, being the best person for the job, whether it's the commissioner, whether it's the boss, whether it's the coach, or whether it's the parent, you're in that position and you're the best person at the top because you're most prepared to be okay being the most disliked. Email me at tonyparks801 at gmail.com with any of your feedback. Feel free to reach out to me on all forms of social media as well at tonyparks801. Thank you so much for being a part of the Tony Parks podcast right here on the Utah Podcast Network.